Hello and welcome to Connect Points podcast and sermon archives. If you'd like to learn more about our church, please go online to our website at connectpointupc.com or follow us on our Facebook page. Thank you very much and I hope you enjoy this week's message. God bless. chapter, and uh, I want to look at this portions of Scripture tonight, beginning with verse 20, and uh, we'll just see how far we get. How about that? Amen. And uh, just, there's a verse of Scripture we may get to towards the end that uh, talks, everybody say, little by little. Little by little, that's kind of one of the things that I want to make tonight, one of the points I want to bring across to us. Amen. Are you ready for the word of the Lord? Amen. So Exodus 23, and I'll read 20 through 23. Behold, I send an angel before thee to keep thee in the way and to bring thee into the place which I have prepared Beware of him and obey his voice. Provoke him not, for he will not pardon your transgressions, for my name is in him. But if thou shalt indeed obey his voice and do all that I speak, then I will be an enemy unto thine enemies and an adversary unto thine adversaries. For mine angel shall go before thee and bring thee into the Amorites and the Hittites and the Perizzites and the Canaanites and the Hivites and the Jebusites, and I will cut them off. And so I want to look at this a little bit, and we'll work our way down through several verses of Scripture. At first, it may seem, uh, when we're reading about this angel that is referenced here, that it is speaking of Moses. He is their God-given leader. He is most assuredly ordained of God for the task. He is the one that they are indeed listening to as a voice of God in their situation. But later in the next chapter, we find in Exodus 33, 1 through 2, And the Lord said unto Moses, Depart, and go up hence, thou and the people which thou hast brought up out of the land of Egypt, unto the land which I swear unto Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, saying, Unto thy seed will I give it. And I will send an angel before thee, and I will drive out the Canaanite, the Amorite, the Hittite, the Perizzite, the Hivite, and the Jebusite. And so... At first, when we're looking at Exodus 23, we may think that Moses is the angel. But Exodus 33 lets us know that since God is speaking directly to Moses and still references an angel, then Moses is not the angel that God is speaking of. But instead, God has dispatched angelic help or angelic assistance and protection for the Israelite people in their journey. He gives them divine direction with angelic representation. And I know this is, uh, we're we're kind of in a a thing around here lately with some of this wilderness journey and some of this that I've been preaching about and talking about, but God kind of keeps bringing us back here. And so we just follow after that. And so they have angelic direction and the people needed angelic direction. For the same reason today that you and I need divine direction in our life. It tells us in Exodus 23 and 20. Behold, I send an angel before thee to keep thee in the way and to bring thee into the place which I have 
prepared. Everybody say prepared. To bring thee into the place which I have prepared. Without divine direction, we will most assuredly get off track. I want to make that clear tonight that it's not possible that we would get off track. It's not possible that things will get messed up. We will mess it up. And we need to understand that about ourselves. One of the things that we need to understand as human beings it, it, when it comes to our relationship with God is our limitations. Our limitations. Because when we take, amen, an approach that we don't have any limitations, then we get to a place where we don't need God. We're operating outside of reality if we don't think we have limitations. Outside of our own creation. And so we need divine direction. We need to understand that, we, that there's an angel, there is help, there is God. However you want to look at it, divine direction is going before us. And so to arrive at the place that has been prepared for us, uh, and the Bible says to him, them here, God has a prepared place. To arrive at that prepared place, they must stay in the way. If they don't stay in the way, they're not going to arrive there. So, And to, to arrive there, even in the way, they still needed some protection. You can be on the right road and still need God's help. You can be on the right path and still need God's protection. Amen. And it was not a quick journey. And it was going to require some wilderness time, right? It required wilderness time. Now, God is already prepared for this. In fact... The wilderness is God's idea. Amen. I've had people ask me before, Pastor, I don't understand. Uh, why would God ever let us go through a wilderness? What's the necessity of going through the wilderness? Uh, sometimes we need to stop and think, does God maybe know more than I do? Amen. You say, well, I don't know why I had to go through that trial. I don't know why I had to go through that experience. I don't know why things had to get difficult for a little while. Well, look at Exodus 13, 17 through 18. It came to pass when Pharaoh had let the people go. Everybody say, he let them go. That God led them not through the way of the land of the Philistines, although that was near. You know what that means? That means that was the way to go to where they were trying to get. That was the right route, the direct route, the quickest route. But although that was near, for God said, lest peradventure the people repent when they see war and they return to Egypt. But God led the people about through the way of the wilderness of the Red Sea and the children of Israel went up harnessed out of the land of Egypt. God did not send them the shortest route because the shortest route would have taken them into Philistine territory. In fact, what God says is the shortest route would have taken them into war. The shortest route to the promised land was to go through Philistine territory, but they were already a very formidable people of war, and they would have resisted for sure a large nomadic tribe of people that all of a sudden show up and want to go through their land. 
and they would have fought them, and God knew that the Israelites might change their mind if just a few steps out of Egypt, they run into a war zone, and people start attacking them. He knew they might repent, he says, which means in this context, change their mind and go running back to Egypt. They needed to get stronger. They needed to get healthier. They needed to get larger in number. They needed to learn how to organize. They They needed to learn how to take orders. Come on, somebody. They needed to learn how to take direction. They needed to learn how to follow through. And God knew they could not go from slavery to war that quickly. The wilderness, therefore, was a better place to learn than the battlefield. Oh, hallelujah. I'm going to try hard not to preach this tonight. I might preach it some other time. But we need to grasp what this is teaching us, uh, that God knew the quickest way from Egypt to Canaan was through Philistine territory. But he decided that it would be better for them to learn what they needed to learn in the wilderness than to go directly into a fight. Oh, we got to thank God for when he tells us, go this way. And we say, well, I want to go that way. And God says, no, you need to go this way. We say, well, God, that's the easiest way. That's the quickest way. We don't know what we're talking about. We don't know what we're talking about. But God knows what we're talking about, and he needed to prepare them. Everybody say prepare. He needed to prepare them, and so he brought them into the wilderness. It's kind of like I was uh, preaching about recently with the cloud. Everybody remember the cloud? and the presence of God, our best course of action is not to look at the map and decide the best route. This text tells us our best course of action is to take orders from God and follow through to let the angel of the Lord be in front of us. That's our best course of action the angel of the Lord in front of us because Exodus 23, 23 says, for mine angel shall go before thee and bring thee into the, the, unto the Amorites and the Hittites and the Perizzites and the Canaanites and the Hivites and the Jebusites and I will cut them off. He names all of these formidable nations of people that they were going to have to wrestle with and he says, but I'm gonna send my angel in front of you and I'm gonna deal with it. Oh, hallelujah. And next, then they are given some direction for what they are supposed to do and not do when they eventually arrive at this place. Now, this is very interesting because they're not there. But this is what he's telling them in advance. They need to prepare themselves in advance. See, the reason they went to the wilderness is preparation. And then God starts to prepare them in the wilderness, and he begins to prepare their thinking so that they'll act right when they get there. Some people just want to get there, but once they get there, they don't know how to act. Oh, hallelujah. And so here he is. He says, I need to prepare you for some things. He says in Exodus 23, 24, thou shalt not bow down to their gods, nor serve them, nor do after their works, but thou shalt utterly overthrow them and quite break down their images. So God begins with what not to do. He begins with what not to do. He says, even if they pressure you, even if they coerce you, if they appear to be successful people and make appealing offers to you, 
See, that's one of the, we never really think about it that way. We think about Israel and we think about everyone else as the enemy and we think of like, you know, this nice, good, you know, clean cut, put together Israel and everybody else is dirty and nasty and whatever, but they, that's not the truth. These were, Israel was the nation that was barely formed. They were going up against nations that had culture and had business and had uh, monetary systems and had walls and had armies and had defenses and had governments and all that kind of stuff. And so here, they're the, they're the nomadic tribal people. And so you need to think about it this way. He doesn't say, don't just go there and fall into their nasty debauchery, but he's also saying, look, you might get there and what they have might actually look pretty good. They might actually have a system of living. They might actually have some jobs. They might actually have a way to, uh, of governments. They might actually welcome you and say, hey, come, be with us. We want you to be here. Join with us. He, they, he says they might present it that way. It may not be as easy as we think it's going to be to say no, but God begins and he says, do not worship their idols. Do not Follow their lead. In fact, he says, destroy their idols and conquer the people completely. If I say completely. And conquer the people completely. And so as God leads you into new territory for his namesake, if I can say it that way, you can expect opposition, but you can also expect enticement. Everybody hear me? You can also expect enticement. In fact, it really depends on who you are on what the devil's gonna use. If you're the type of person that if you face opposition, you're immediately gonna bow up and say, oh no, no, I'm fighting. Then the devil won't use opposition. He'll use enticement. And so we need to understand that God is telling them what not to do. He basically is saying, look, everything that involves worshiping other gods has to go. Everything. I don't care what they offer you. I don't care what it looks like. I don't care how much fear they put in. I don't care if they try to fight you. I don't care if they look bigger than you. If, it has, if you have to worship their gods to survive, you say, no, we are not worshiping their gods. We destroy them. We tear them down. We'll fight against it, but we will not worship their idols. Amen. So God leads us, and as he leads us, we can expect these types of things to happen, even in our lives now, that people would oppose us, or people would even offer what perceives to be a peace offering. But if it involves having to worship their idols, we're not interested. Amen. We're not interested. In that sense, God makes it pretty simple. All of the complexities of culture, all of the complexities of, well, you know, uh, the job pays good. Yeah, but what do you have to do? Right? Or the hours are good. Or, or, or if I hang out with them, they, they, can, they can open some doors for me. And if I go to this place, uh, I'm going to get to meet some famous people. Or if I do this, yeah, but what do you have to do? 
What idols are you going to have to bow down to? God makes it pretty simple in that case. So this is a non-negotiable to God. It's never going to change. It's in his moral law. The very first two commandments of the Ten Commandments. You shall have no other God before me. You shall not make yourselves any idols. There's only ten commandments, and he uses the first two to drive that point home because that is the simplest way to prove should I be involved in this or not. If i got to bow my knee to their idol, I'm not doing it. Oh, hallelujah. So he says what not to do. And then he gets to what to do. And we notice immediately that obedience to God comes with blessing. Everybody say comes with blessing. (laughs) Exodus 23, 25, 26. And ye shall serve the Lord your God. And, everybody say and. He shall bless thy bread and thy water. And I will take sickness away from the midst of thee. There shall nothing cast their young nor be barren in thy land. The number of thy days I will fulfill. Now, their sustenance, their nourishment, their food was blessed of God. And they were going to therefore be blessed because of it. But not just because of it was food. Because the food was already designed to meet their body's physical needs of survival. He says bread and water, right? Bread and water was already designed by God to meet their physical needs, to give them what they needed for energy, for sustenance, for health. It was needed for survival, bread and water. So what is he talking about when he says, I'm going to bless the bread and water? But he, so he blesses it, and because it's blessed of God, it's therefore capable of doing even more than just making them full and making them have energy and meeting the the needs of their physical bodies. It's already designed to do that, but he blesses it. And see, so with that, he makes a promise that he will take sickness away from them. Everybody see it? And not only will he take sickness away from them, but they will see a great increase in both man and cattle because all of the babies are going to survive. The human condition that you and I live in and that they lived in, the human condition from the Garden of Eden exists with problems and it exists with pain. Right? That was what they lived in too. Remember? These are the same people that were in bondage not very long before. Same people. And so the human condition exists with both problems and pain. And we're not universally exempt from this. But in this story, God shows that he does and he can override the human condition. Oh, hallelujah. I need somebody to hear me tonight. He can override the human condition. He was building a great and formidable nation. And what he does is he simply speeds up the process by which it would take them to become that. That's what he does. He just speeds up the process. He just says, look, I need you to be great. I need you to be 
more in number. I need you to be stronger. I need you to be healthier. We're about to fight some pretty big time battles here. I'm trying to create a powerful nation of people. So he speeds up the process and he makes it so that the very food that they eat also keeps them from sickness and that they also do not lose their children or do their cattle. So their numbers of people and their numbers of cattle are increasing greatly. And so then all he, he does there is he has to just make one more adjustment to really make them a mighty people. And he says, the number of thy days I will fulfill. So he says, nobody's going to die early of sickness and disease. Everybody's days are going to be fulfilled. And for as long as God designs you to live, that's how long you are going to live. Now, we need to understand what's happening here. Once again, we're not operating with angels. We're not operating with all of humanity. We're not operating within a context that even continues on uh, from that moment in the wilderness because this isn't how they always were, right? They didn't always eat bread and water and nobody ever got sick and everybody lived all their days. We know from studying the life of Israel and the people that that's not how it always was. But in this story, it was. At this time it was. With what God was trying to do in them it was. Oh, hallelujah. I I need somebody to to apply the context. Uh, That means uh, that God can take us in whatever condition we are in, uh, and he doesn't have to take forever to get us in the the condition we need to be in uh, to achieve the goal he wants us to achieve. He can do miraculous things and even override the human condition to get us where we need to be. Oh, hallelujah. So here he is, and he's working. He says, that day's going to be filled. And we, know, we need to understand that our lifespans are affected by how we live our lives. You and I have a say. You and I have a say in how long we live our lives. We understand this. Look, uh, uh, we understand that we deal with tragedy like everyone else deals with tragedy. We understand Matthew 5, 45. Uh, you may be children of your father, which is in heaven, for he maketh his son to rise on the evil and on the good and sinneth rain on the just and the unjust. We know that this verse in its context is speaking to how we treat other people. It's really about how he treats people and how we should treat people and that if God hadn't loved us while we were his enemies, then we never could have become his children. Right? If he hadn't first loved us while we were sinners, we never could be anything but sinners. We understand that. But we also know bad things happen to good people. We get that. But look at all, let me take us back to the Ten Commandments for a second. The ever existence law of God, Exodus 20 and 12. Honor thy father and thy mother, that thy days may be what? Long upon the land which the Lord thy God giveth thee. So you have a a commandment promised in it that says, if you will live a life that honors your father and mother, that your life can be longer. You say, well, that's not enough. Well, look at, remember what David said in Psalm 55, 22 and 23? It says, cast thy burden upon the Lord, and he shall sustain thee. Everybody say, sustain thee. He shall sustain thee. He shall never suffer the righteous to be moved. But thou, O God, shall bring them down into the pit of destruction. Bloody and deceitful men shall not live out half their days. But I will trust in thee. Bloody and and, uh, uh, deceitful men won't even live half the days that they're supposed to live. They have an effect. How we live our lives has an effect on our lives. We understand this. It's easy to see that in our world today, that our life choices directly affect our lifespan. 
Amen. God says to Israel, obey me and the number of thy days I will fulfill. The number of days I will fulfill. Now, there's some good news for us, you know, that, that you can make some pretty big mistakes. David, who was talking about bloody and deceitful men, made some pretty big mistakes. Had blood on his hands, and he deceived. Amen. But he honored God. He repented, and he honored God. And the Bible says that he pulled his feet up into his bed in his old days, and he died being an old man. He said, that doesn't happen to everybody. I'm not saying it happens to everybody. I'm saying that God can do these types of things. I'm saying don't limit God. Don't misunderstand the possibilities of God. Understand that we have an effect on our lives, and what we've done has an effect on our lives. But God can also change the things that we've done that have had an effect on our lives. And God can make it work for us and not against us. God can make us better and not worse. Has anybody ever made a decision in your life that could have killed you, should have killed you, maybe might have killed you? Raise your hand. Just raise your hand. Look around. But you're still here. Right? You made a choice. It was a bad one. But you're alive. Thank God for it. Thank God for it. How many also know at the same time that if you decided to make that same choice every day, that it might not end up that way? All right, so it's easy to see that our choices affect us, but we also can see that God can speak and God can say, I'm gonna override the human condition to fulfill my plan, my purpose for your life. So then he returns from discussing their future behavior in their future habitation, and he, re- he returns back to where they actually are, to the wilderness uh, where they are residing. He begins to illustrate how he will Protect them. In Exodus 23, 27, 28, I will send my fear before thee, and I will destroy all the people to whom thou shalt come, and I will make all thine enemies turn their backs unto thee, and I will send hornets before thee, which shall drive out the Hivite, the Canaanite, the Hittite from before thee. Once again, we see the power of letting God lead. Everybody say, let God lead. lead. Would you look at somebody right in the eye and say, let God lead. Now notice here, I think this is a powerful thing, the observation that we need to make. The angel that they knew was a hornet to their enemy. Just like the cloud that was light unto them, the Bible says that it became thick darkness to the Egyptian army when they were coming after them at the Red Sea. You see how that works? When, 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 uh, when, you're, when you're presented, uh, next time you're presented with a who's on the Lord's side question, you really shouldn't have to think about it that long. Because the angel that I'm following that's driving out my enemies, uh, he's an angel to me and is a hornet to them. He says their enemies would be destroyed or they would be made to turn their backs. They would be made to flee away. Now, hornets here, most commentaries believe is probably not literal, but it's descriptive of trouble that God was going to cause to these nations before Israel even got there. There was going to be trouble that was going to happen before they even arrived. Exodus 23 
29 through 30, I will not drive them out before thee in one year. Now, this is, this is what started me on this. This is what started me on this whole study. This is what caught my eye. I will not drive them out from before thee in one year, lest the land become desolate and the beasts of the field multiply against thee. By little and little, I will drive them out from before thee until thou be increased and inherit the land. Now, I don't, I've read the Bible, you know, multiple times in my life. I don't know that I've ever really quite seen this before. I'm sure I read it, but that's a different thing, right? But I see some very powerful insight here into how God works. Everybody say little by little. He says, I will not drive out all of the nations that make up Canaan land, make up the promised land, make up all of these places. He's like, I'm not going to drive all of them out in one year. I'm not going to drive them all out because if I do that, there would be no one to work the soil or to keep the crops. The weeds would grow up again. The harvest would be ruined or the thistles and the thorns would regain their former territory. Everybody see what he's saying? He says, God could. He, he could drive out all their enemies at one time with no problem. He can do whatever he wants to do. But we need to think, why does he not do that? And he tells us why he's not going to do that. He says, because if I drive them all out before you even get there, and before I increase you in number, and before I teach you some things in the wilderness, and before I prepare you, if that's just sitting there empty and desolate with no human, human beings working the land, then when you get there, you're going to have to work a whole lot harder. Come on, somebody. You're going to have to work a whole lot harder. And then he says, the beast of the field... Uh, their numbers have been decreased because human presence is there. Because when they went in there and started to build their communities, they had to deal with the beasts of the field, and they had to kill the beasts of the field, and they had to set traps for the beasts of the field, and they had to make their human presence known so the beasts of the field wouldn't move off someplace else. But he says, if I, if I drive everyone out right now, by the time you finally get there, the beasts of the field will have taken back over the land, and you're going to have to go in and fight off all that again. And so you're going to have to go in and rework the land. You're going to have to go in and deal with the beasts of the field and, and all of these hardships and these fearful things. Now, Israel, my people, you're going to have to go through. And so he's making a point that I think you and I need to understand, that there was no need for Israel to start over from scratch with these conquered nations. Remember what he told them in Deuteronomy 6. 10 and 11, it shall be when the Lord thy God shall have brought thee into the land which he sware unto thy fathers to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob to give thee great and goodly cities which thou buildest not and houses full of all good things which thou fillest not and wells digged which thou diggest not and vineyard and olive trees which thou plantest not when thou shalt have eaten and be full. He says, look, I made a promise to you and my plan, oh hallelujah, is to bring you into a place that's already prepared. You say, well, it was prepared by the enemy. Me. Well, that's how good God is. 
That's how good God is. He doesn't have to start over from scratch. Well, well, the enemy prepared that. Don't you believe that God is in control? Don't you believe that God knows what he's doing? He's saying, I don't want you to have to go dig a bunch of new wells and plant a bunch of new things and build a bunch of new houses. I've already got that ready for you. I've already got that ready for you. Every time God gains new territory, he doesn't have to destroy the whole thing and start over. Oh, hallelujah. And that ought to resonate with us now. That ought to resonate with us because that includes us. Oh, hallelujah. That includes us. Sure, he had to do some house cleaning when he got us, right? Sure, he had to do some house cleaning when he got his hands on us, when he finally got a hold of us, when he finally got our attention, when we finally cried out to him and submitted to him and gave our lives to him. Oh, there were some things that he had to get rid of for sure. There were some idols uh, that could not stay. There were some idols uh, that had to go. There was some worship of other things uh, that had, oh, my God, and help, help me. Amen. There were things we were given priority to uh, that were determining our whole lives uh, that were keeping us from God and he said I got to get rid of all that nonsense but thankfully he didn't burn the whole thing to the ground because I was created in my mother's womb with a purpose I was created as long as you were with a purpose and we were designed for a purpose and he can still use the purpose there's some things that have to go there's some things that have to go but he doesn't destroy the whole thing Oh, hallelujah. And you need to thank God for that when it comes to yourself. But you also need to remember that when you're looking at other people. Just because they, they developed their talents for the world doesn't mean God didn't have a plan to use that talent to worship him. Just because they got good at it in the world just because they came into their own and they, their, their, their abilities and their strengths and all of that were developed in a sinful way doesn't mean that God says, no, 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 I gotta burn all that to the ground. No, God knows exactly what he's doing. He knows exactly what he's doing. And so he says, this land is, is I, I've, I've already prepared it. I've already prepared it. This is why we should be so desirous to have the angel in front of us. Because we need to think about where we're going. Do you really want it to take longer to get there? I don't. God's got a place prepared for me. I want it as fast as possible. God's got a place for me. I want to get there as soon as possible. But think now, think. He says, I'm not going to drive them all out in a year, though. By little and little, I will drive them out from before thee until thou, everybody say thou, until thou be increased and inherit the land. So the little by little thing has nothing to do with the enemy. It has nothing to do with how strong they are, how mighty they are, how big their walls are, how great their war. He says, he says, this doesn't have anything to do with them. He says, this is about you. I'm driving them out little by little so that I can increase you and prepare you and train 
Oh, hallelujah. And develop you. This is the last point I'm going to make. There is a trap called impatience. Maybe I should have titled it that. That sounded good, didn't it? A trap called impatience. That's I'll preach. That I will preach. I promise you that. The trap called impatience. It's, but God doesn't operate this way. And since God doesn't operate this way, you and I need to think, why? Why doesn't he operate this way? And the reason why God does not operate impatiently is because God's timing is always perfect. His timing is always perfect. Do you know why God, we say that a lot, God's timing is always perfect, but do you know why his timing is always perfect? His timing is always perfect because he controls time. If you controlled time, then you could always be on time. Right? I mean, I remember there was a battle going on, and, and, uh, and was it Joshua? Joshua looks, commands the sun to stand still. Actually, the earth stood still, but he accomplished what he was trying to accomplish. If you were driving to church, and you're supposed to be here, well, we won't say what time you're supposed to be here. I said, I said we won't say what time you're supposed to be here. So let's just say, let's just for sake of argument, church starts at 7.30, and, and, and you're 10 minutes away, and it's 7.25. If you could just say, time, stop. And then walk in the doors, take your coat off, walk over, sit down, get yourself comfortable, and then say, okay, time, go. I'm here. I don't know where everyone else is at, but I was on time. That's why his timing is perfect, because he controls the time. He's got all of that. He doesn't exist in time. He exists above it, beyond it. And so this is why when we get impatient, we are really getting ourselves messed up, and we can get ourselves off track, and we can not have an angel in front of us, and we can really go for a long ride, which is exactly what the Israelites did in the wilderness, by the way. There was a much quicker way to get to where they were going. But because they got impatient in the process, and all I'm trying to teach us with this last point, there's a lot of different stuff here, but with this last point is that we just need to understand that while God was slowly driving them out, he was also slowly developing and building up Israel. But I I need you to grasp it. His idea of slowly developing Israel involved making their food so powerful that nobody got sick and everyone lived forever and no, not forever, but everyone lived the fullness of days and every baby was healthy and everything worked out. So before you start whining and complaining because God is saying be patient, you need to understand what God can do slowly. <laughs> what God can do slowly is more than you and I could do ever ever. He says, I'll set thy bounds from the Red Sea, even to the Sea of the Philistines, 
and from the desert unto the river. For I will deliver the inhabitants of the land into your hand, and thou shalt drive them out before thee. Stand with me if you would, please. God basically says here, look, everything that's habitable, habitable, (laughs) everything that can be inhabited, (laughs) I just made up 14 words, (laughs) everything that can be inhabited, I'm going to give you, and I'm going to put borders on it. I'm going to put a desert over here and a sea over there and a river over here. I'm going to position you so that you're safe so that it's hard for people to attack you. And everything that's livable, you're going to live in it. Everything that's plowable, you're going to plow and you're going to grow. And everything that's buildable, you're going to build. Everything's going to work out just perfectly. And I'll deliver the inhabitants of the land into your hand. And I want you to catch this last thing. I will deliver the inhabitants of the land into your hand. Everybody say, my hand. And thou, everybody say, thou. Thou shalt drive them out before thee. Everybody say, thee. So everything that's habitable, he's going to make their home with protective borders. He's going to keep them safe. And he would deliver the inhabitants into your hand, and you're going to drive them out before thee. Notice how God brings them into the fight. Notice how he makes them feel and participate and experience victory. He's this whole time he's been talking about how I'm going to go before you and all your enemies are going to run and I'm going to be like a hornet and I'm going to destroy everything. But then he says, but I'm going to actually bring you in and I'm going to use your hand, right? It might look like walking around a wall seven times, but I'm going to let you participate in the victory because God doesn't do everything while we do nothing. He just makes it so that what we do obediently to him will be successful. He wants us to participate because he wants us to know what victory feels like. He wants us to experience victory. But if we'll do it obediently, we cannot fail. And this is what this, all this series of verses is kind of saying in a bunch of different ways. It's saying if you'll just do it the way God wants you to do it, everything will work out great. And it'll be just right. Amen. I don't know why God keeps bringing this back to us, but I, but I just, I'm going to keep talking about it as long as he wants us to talk about it. God has a plan, and God has a purpose. And if we just let him lead, everything will work out great. Lord, we love you so much. We thank you for this day. We thank you for the opportunity. Thank you for listening to our podcast this week. We hope you enjoyed this message. Remember, if you would like to find out more information about our church or to contact us, please go online at connectpointupc.com. And also, don't forget to subscribe in your podcast app so you will be automatically notified of new episodes. Thank you, and we hope you have a great week.